0: Uh, we're continuing in our series today, uh, the five things that I wish Jesus never said. And, and I'll just be honest with you and say there's more than five. Uh, in fact, there are some things that we look at that Jesus said, and you hear them from time to time, and depending on the situation or the circumstances in your life, you might not be able to help but go, Ugh. Really? I mean, I mean, really, is that what he means? And if you're new to church or you haven't been around church for a long time, uh, it's easy to look at some of the things that Jesus said and maybe even agree with some of them. You might read or hear what Jesus has to say and think to yourself, OK, I can get behind that. I, I see that. Yeah, I'm all about that. But uh, flip the page or, or two and and read something else. And you're like, oh, yeah, that yeah, that's exactly why I've stayed away from church. Uh, you know, the, the, those types of things bug me. And, it, and it's not just for new people, or people outside of the church, it's for every one of us. And if you've been around the church for a long time, again, depending on the situation or the season of your life, you might look at some of the things that Jesus said and think to yourself, I, really? I mean, you know, and we're just, we're kind of these people. We're used to being these type of people where we practice. We're kind of guilty of practice practicing selective listening. When it comes to Jesus' words, it's kind of like the, uh, the, the beauty of iTunes. You know, you don't have to buy the whole album anymore. You can pick and choose the particular songs that you want or the songs that you like. And we do that with God's word, too. We do that with some of the things that Jesus said. Now, now some of what Jesus said drives us crazy, uh, at, at times it almost appears like he's out of uh, out of date or out of touch with things that are going on You might read some of jesus words and read the words. Uh, Don't be anxious. Don't worry about tomorrow And you think to yourself really jesus I mean, have you seen what the stock market is doing? Have you seen what's going on in libya or in the middle east? Uh, and did you see that we had another earthquake the other day and we think to ourselves, you know I'm trying not to worry, but you're the creator of the universe. I mean you kind of see what's going on here or we'll read the words, love your neighbor, and, and you're like, um, my neighbor's an idiot, all right? You know, I mean, my, my neighbor, that, that so-called dog of his poops in my yard, you know, all the time, you know? I mean, what do you mean I'm supposed to love my neighbor? Or, or as Steve talked about last week when Jesus says, sell everything and give to the poor, and, and that's a touchy spot for some people because it's like, no, that, it's my money. Like again, the selective listening stuff, like I'm okay with everything else, but the money side, that that's kind of mine uh, to kind of navigate through a bit. Why does it always have to come back to money? Or Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And yes, he's talking about taxes, you know, and we look at that and really, Jesus is giving an endorsement for taxes here. And, and at that time, that's what Jesus was saying. But I want to look at some other words with you today. And if you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn there with us to Matthew chapter five, uh, Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse 44. Uh, Jesus is teaching what we've come to know as the Sermon on the Mount. He's got a great group, a great crowd of people that are listening to him, ready to respond, to understand what it means to follow Jesus. And in Matthew 5, uh, verse 44, we hear some more of those words. Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. If you're taking notes, uh, what is one of those things that we secretly wish that Jesus never said, and Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. Who, who's your enemy? I mean, is that, that resonate with anyone immediately? And you hear the word enemy and you're thinking to myself, I'm sitting next door right now, but uh, you know, who, who's your enemy? Uh, who, who's that person for you? You know, for some of you, it might be easy to identify that enemy in your life, but, but I'm willing to believe that it's, it's challenging for most of us because enemy sort of seems like a harsh word. You know, I mean, well, we, you know, we've got some people around us that we don't enjoy or some people that may, maybe have a difficult time getting along with. But, I mean, to call them an enemy, I mean, seriously, isn't that a little harsh, you know, for 2011? But if you can't think of anyone, just, just kind of look at it this way. You know, we all have at least two kinds of people in our life. We've all got at least two kinds of people in our life. I think potential enemies and the first type of people that we have in our life are people that you can't stand. And you can write that down that you've got people in your life that you have a difficult time tolerating. We've we've got people in our life that that we can't stand and we see it on TV. I mean, there are some classic enemies on TV, always going at one another. You know, some of them, Uh, there are others here, a few examples. We've got the coyote and Roadrunner again, classic enemies. Uh, depending on, you know, your age, Archie and, and Meathead, they're, they're on TV all the time right now, so that's why I put these guys up there. Uh, these are some of my favorite enemies. Watch this, two of my favorites. Any, any Jerry, any Seinfeld fans? All right, we've got a few of them. Uh, you know, it's, it's the same in the, in the sports perspective, too. we got the Colts and the Patriots, some I mean, great enemies uh, from Indiana, of course, IU and Purdue. And then even our very own worship leaders, uh, you know, Ben Krause, if you've been around here for a while, you might remember Ben on the left and, and, and Cameron now. Again, classic enemies. Now, um, who is it that eats at you? I mean, who is it that rubs you the wrong way or gets under your skin once in a while? Again, we've all got people like that. Could be your boss. You know, especially if your boss is one of those that likes to take credit for all the work, but they sort of disappear when things aren't going so well. Maybe it's a coworker, and you just think to yourself, if I've got to listen to my coworker complain about the problems of their life one more time, I'm going to go crazy. Maybe it's a customer uh, that you have to put up with on, on a regular basis. Could be your mother in law, uh, or maybe a sister or something, or it's the person in the apartment next door. If you're a teacher, uh, your enemy might be that parent or that particular student that always gets under your skin It could be the two girls that are living in the dorm room uh, Across the hall from you right now I mean, can we just be honest and say that we've all got people in our life We've all got people that we have a difficult time standing or tolerating But in addition to that in addition to people we can't stand um, there are people who can't stand you Did you know that? Uh, I'm sorry to be the one to burst your bubble this morning, but we've all got people like that in our life, people that can't stand you. Uh, We we dropped our boys off at school this week, and uh, first week, and they were excited to get going as we were uh, in the office. Uh, My wife pointed out to me the new principal of my boys' elementary school, and I didn't get a chance to talk to him, but as my wife was working on some things, I, I was sitting there and I was thinking about that guy and what he does for a living, and I couldn't help but think to myself, I wouldn't want that job. And not because he works with kids all day long and we all love kids and all, but I mean the parents that he has to put up with and trying to imagine and think about the emails and the letters and the phone calls and the complaints that he's got to deal with, that he's got to work with every single week. And I'm just saying that I can sort of sympathize with them. You know, because as a pastor, uh, we in many ways kind of have to do the same thing once in a while. And in fact, it's almost like we wear big bullseyes on our chest once in a while, especially when you stand up here. of Just knowing that not everyone's going to agree, that everyone's going to have a different opinion from time to time. And, and we try and do it out of love. But, but there are people, you know, we all are people from time to time and we've all got an opinion. And it's tough for me. Because I'm an off-the-charts people pleaser, you know, if I could, if I can make everybody happy, that would be a great thing for me, and it's just one of the challenges uh, that I have to deal with. My sister uh, has a whole different perspective on this people not being able to stand you. My my sister, back uh, a few years ago, married a wonderful Christ-centered, loving African American man. And so she's got a whole different take on this because she's got stories to tell of the way that people look at them, the way that people treat them, the way that the things that people say to them. And so it's a, it's a bigger deal for her that, you know, there are people you can't stand and there are people who have a difficult time standing you. But Jesus says, love your enemies. And again, I've kind of had a a difficult time getting my mind around this week week because, you know, that word enemies, again, it just seems so harsh for 2011. So uh, what what can we get to? How can we better understand this? I I think we can best sum up enemies as anyone you can't stand and people that may have a difficult time tolerating or standing you. But here it is. This is what Jesus says to us in, in spite of all this. He says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. Now, Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 5. He was talking to his disciples, but he was talking to this larger group of followers and those who were curious of Jesus' teaching. And and as a portion of, of a larger teaching, Jesus, with these words, was basically laying a foundation for what it means to follow him. What it means to put your life behind his. And while spoken 2,000 years ago, these are words that are as alive and as relevant today for people like you and me too. I mean, do you want to live like Jesus Christ? I mean, is that a desire of yours? Is that a passion for yours? Well, here it is. Here's what Jesus says. This is what a Christ follower looks like. He says, love your enemies. And one of the ways that you can love your enemies is you can pray for them. You can pray for even those who persecute you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about these words that Jesus shared, I I don't want to always hear words like these. You know, I I wish he wouldn't have said that. I wish Jesus would have just said, hey, don't be openly mean to them or, or just ignore them or find some other friends or go on with your life. I'd rather give myself credit for not being mean. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, love them. And he's basically saying, I want you to do good to them. In fact, I want you to seek ways to reach out to them, to show Christ's love to them. In fact, Jesus speaks in such a way that he is really saying to us, I I want you to make an effort in this. In fact, I want you to be intentional in this, to look for opportunities to bless them. Who? Your enemies. That's the life that I'm calling you to do, to pray for your enemies, to to pray for them. And and don't pray that they get Ebola or pray that they move to another state or something like that. But but you pray for your enemies and you pray for them as you would pray for anyone that you love. And Jesus says that's the way of a Christ follower. Who's your enemy right now? Uh, who's that person in your life that person that maybe rubs you the wrong way that person that you can't stand, you know For those listening to jesus here 2000 years ago. They could easily identify with what jesus was saying now These were difficult words, but but they, there was a picture in their mind uh, These israelites these jewish people had been overtaken and were being ruled uh, by the roman empire and the roman empire was ruthless And so when Jesus talked about an enemy, the picture that immediately came to their mind was a man with a helmet and armor and a sword and maybe a a spear or something. They they knew what Jesus was talking about. These were merciless men who were infamous for, for going around and being brutal and killing people on the spot. Now, on top of that, historians record that Rome taxed the people of Israel at a rate of almost 90%. I mean, if you think you struggle with the IRS today, I mean, imagine living under such rules. So we have this ruthless military machine that that kills people and robs people of everything that they have. But Jesus says, love them. Here's the life that I'm calling you to. It's a life where you love them. Now, my enemies and your enemies, they they may not be as easy to identify as these people were able to do 2000 years ago. Uh, They don't dress like the enemies of Jesus day, but they're out there. Every single one of us has enemies like these. Maybe yours are a little harder to spot, but you've got potential enemies around you every single day, whether you're at home or at work or you're out and about. I mean, you work with one. Uh, you may go to school with one. Uh, your enemy is your teacher. You used to date him. Uh, maybe you used to be married to her. Your enemy's yard might butt up to yours right now. Your, your enemy hurt your kid. Uh, your enemy might have a different skin color or nationality. Your enemy might be living in this country illegally right now. Your enemy might have a different sexual preference than you. Your enemy voted Democrat last, uh, last fall and will likely vote Democrat again next fall. Whoever it is, what is it that Jesus has for us? What is the life that he's called us to? He says, my people, my followers, the same tough words 2,000 years ago are the same words that apply today. Here's what I'm looking for in my followers. Here's a life that gets God's attention. Jesus said, love your enemies. And as you love them, I want you to pray for even those who persecute you. I ran across uh, this list this past week. It's a top five list for why you should love your enemies. Why you should love your enemies rather than hate your enemies. So I sort of feel like Dave Letterman too. If we had a little drum roll here, uh, here it is. uh, The top five list uh, of why you should love your enemies, why you should do good to them. Number five, it saves you money on mean text messages. Uh, If you're limited, you don't have to pay for extras. Number four, why love your enemies? If they randomly die, you won't be considered a prime suspect. Uh, Number three, why why, why should you love your enemies? Well, you can go back out in public again since you were afraid to for running into them before. Uh, Number two, I didn't really think was funny, so I didn't even write it down. And so we're going to skip over to number one. Number one reason why you should love your enemies, since you're married to him, you might as well go ahead and try and make the best of it. All right, so the top five reason why you should love your enemies. But seriously, though. I mean, why does Jesus say what he says? Why called people to this type of living? It's why Jesus came. I mean, it's the very reason that Jesus came. Jesus is well aware of the destruction that sin has and is capable of causing in this world. He knows that sin leads to grudges and resentment and to animosity and to hard feelings and to things like racism. And so he's basically saying these are the ways of a fallen world. And I've come to flip this world upside down. And we're starting over here. And the good news is that my death is going to usher in a brand new kingdom. A kingdom where God works through his people every single day. Where good things are brought about. And that new kingdom is not simply set aside for those of us that will go to heaven one day. But it starts right here, right now, 2,000 years ago. And today the same. And Jesus says, let's change the world together. And that's what he's saying to these people. Let's change the world together. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. I heard a pastor this week tell a story about a a guy who went out hunting and a guy that was very familiar with hunting, and he came across this, uh, the most unusual thing, but he came across the skeleton of an eagle. And, and being an experienced hunter, he was quickly able to recognize that this was the skeleton of an, of an eagle, but there was something unusual about it in that there was another skeleton, the skeleton of a weasel, where the jaws of the weasel were clasped around the eagle's neck. And so it's, it was interesting in that this hunter assumed that what happened was the two were hunting the very same animal and maybe got in a fight over the same animal and, and the weasel kind of clasped its jaws around the neck of the eagle and wouldn't let go and so the eagle basically began eating the weasel from the tail up to the point that the weasel wouldn't let go and the eagle wouldn't let go and 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 they died like that i mean it's kind of gross when you think about it it's kind of an interesting picture but but i like this quote from a guy by the name of frederick Buchner. it's on the screen for you here here's what he says of the seven deadly sins anger is possibly the most fun to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down, though, is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is really you. Basically, what he is saying is that when animosity calls a shot in your lives, when resentment is what you're all about, well, the skeleton is us. And I know that we might think to ourselves, well, I'm not mean to them. I'm just not super nice or I'm just not going out of my way to do something intentional for them. But but think about how the, the power of animosity can really come over you. I'm well, we kind of alluded to this a couple of weeks ago, but, but isn't there a person for you maybe? And, and how many times have you had that bitter confrontation where you told them off in your mind? You know, I mean, it didn't really happen, but you've told them off over and over again in your mind and you say everything that you've wanted to say once and for all. Here's what God's word has to say for us about bitterness and animosity and resentment. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 18 says, "He who conceals his hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool." Proverbs 29:11, "A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control." Proverbs 10:12, "Hatred stirs up dissension." But this is where Jesus is coming from. "But love covers over all wrongs." And so Jesus says to us, love your enemies. Uh, Don't let anger and bitterness and resentment get the very best of you. Why? Because he knows what hate does. He knows what it's capable of doing, not to others, but to us. that, That when I'm harboring bitter feelings or I'm harboring resentment or animosity against someone else, most of the time it's not doing a thing to them. But it's capable of doing so much to me. It's almost like anger is this acid in our souls and our souls are like these containers that were never intended to hold that particular acid If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Hate hurts the hater Hate hurts the hater. It hurts the hater a lot more Uh, Hurts us a lot more than it hurts someone else. I mean Did you know that resentment research shows the resentment can cause you to add weight Believe it or not, research shows that when you harbor resentment and bitter feelings, uh, you're more likely to be under greater stress, which is going to cause you to do things like eat even when you don't want to eat. So I guess you could say that resentment is high in fat, or at least it's very intoxicating. And it's like what Buchner said, we so quickly become the skeleton at our very own feast. Martin Luther King Jr. said, love is the only thing that can turn an enemy into a friend. And I just think it's fascinating that he could say such words at a time when the very people who looked to him and were following him were being sprayed down with things like high-pressure hoses and being kicked in the head and treated like animals. But in spite of all of this, Martin Luther King Jr. said what he said. And do you know who taught him about that kind of love, even in the most difficult situations? It was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ taught him about that love. He taught him... That, that 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 kind of love can turn even an enemy into a friend Now, now think about that word love for a moment uh, Part of the crowd listening to jesus on this particular day were the pharisees again The pharisees were the religious leaders. They were seeking perfection and they were very proud of it And they put jesus on the spot here and their interpretation of the law Was that it was fair and right to reach out and to love people who loved you in return that that was the responsibility to love people who loved you in return. But now Jesus explained how all of this changes with his life and his very own teaching. And with this words here, Jesus explains that his followers are doing the true intent, are living out the intent of the law when they love enemies as they would love anyone else. And Jesus says, if you love your enemies, if you pray for those who persecute you, you truly show that Jesus Christ is indeed the very Lord of your life. And so with Jesus and and with these last few weeks and in the weeks to come what we're seeing here is jesus is always calling people to a higher standard of living He's all about calling you and me to a higher standard of living He came to flip this world upside down to usher in a brand new kingdom and he says to my people I want you to be known for your love That's what I want my people to be known for now Let me add that. I don't think jesus was saying that your enemy should eventually become your best friend All right. I don't think jesus is saying here. That's not what he's getting at but what does he have in mind for us when he says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you? Uh, as one example, I was looking this past week, a guy by the name of John Piper, as uh, a pastor and teacher, a uh, writer, he's on the radio, and uh, he's written this book entitled, What Jesus Demands of the World. Because when you think about it, I mean, the teachings of Jesus, again, it, it's not, we're not to practice selective listening. I mean, it's not about what works for us or what's convenient for us. I mean, he demands of us. He's calling us to be his followers, not just simply fans of him. And uh, in this book, Piper uh, talks about these very words of loving your enemies. And he just gives some examples of what it looks like to pray for those, even those who persecute you. And he says, hey, here's what a prayer for an enemy looks like. You pray, God, I pray that my enemy would look to you first before anyone else, before anything else. God, I pray that my enemy would live under your influence, completely, absolutely sold out to you. God, I pray that my enemy would live their life for your purposes alone. God, I pray that you would bless my enemy with all of the resources and all of the blessings that they need to fulfill their call, your call on their life. And God, I pray that you would forgive the sins of my enemy, that you would make them a forgiver, that you would protect them from temptation, that you would protect them from the very influence of Satan. I mean, simply put, to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you is to basically say, God, I want your best for them. God, I'm going to pray in such a way that, that I want your very best for them and for their life. And Because Jesus is aware of the impact of sin in this world today, and that's why he's calling people like you and me to a higher standard of living. A life defined by love. It's a life where we're actively at work seeking to decrease the the spite and hatred that is so apparent around us at times. That Jesus knows what Martin Luther King discovered that love can turn an enemy into a friend. Can Can I just say this? Can I just give you one practical way that I think every single one of us can practice this? Um, I, I was watching uh, the news a couple of weeks ago when. The Iowa straw poll was taking place and all of the Republican candidates, you know, presenting their side of the story and watching the results come in. And, and I couldn't help but think to myself, the next 14 months are going to be brutal and, and just filled with hatred. I mean, it, it's going to be ugly. I mean, the next year is going to be an ugly, ugly time. And, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't have an opinion. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have convictions. I mean, I have got an opinion. I've got convictions. I'm very concerned about the direction that our country is heading in right now, and not just financially. But, but here's what I'm getting at. You want to know one way that we can practice what it means to love your enemies, to, to, to pray for those who persecute you? Friends, let's do our very best not to contribute to the hatred and the anger that is gonna be around us every single day, even with our election and politics in the next year to come. Again, I'm not saying you can't have an opinion. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have convictions, but I'm just saying that I believe that Jesus Christ has called us to a higher standard of living. And let's not continue to contribute to the hatred that is already so prevalent uh, in the world and in our offices and our schools. Albert Einstein said this, the world is evil, not because of what evil people do, but because of the good that good people don't do. Who's your enemy? You know, when Jesus says these words, I mean, what what happens inside of you? Is there a name? Is there a person? Is there a a group of people that immediately come to mind? Who's your enemy? And is there something that you can do to intentionally demonstrate Christ's love to them? I, I thought about coming up with a list of some real practical ways that you could leave here today and demonstrate Christ's love to others, but I decided not to do that. Um, That's your assignment And maybe that's your homework and maybe that's the work that you're going to invite god's spirit to do inside of you Even as you leave today and again, I don't think jesus is getting to this place where he's saying that every enemy in your life Should eventually be your best friend, you know that you've got to go out and get best friends forever bracelets You know that you're going to share with them or something again That's not where he's going But it's being able to come to this place where you are able to say and pray that I want god's best for them now, if you're still in Matthew 5, verse 44, skip over a few verses with me as Jesus wraps up this particular section, this particular teaching. I want you to recognize these words here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. He says, be perfect. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, if you didn't think Jesus was already out of touch or a little hopeful in his words, I mean, you hear words like these and you're like, okay, I get it. Love my enemies and then just be perfect while I'm at it. I've got to strive for this perfection. I mean, we, we could just we could add this to the list of things that I wish Jesus had never said. And, and you might be thinking, you know, I, this following Jesus thing is kind of difficult. I mean, whatever happened with just going to church on Sunday and throwing a few bucks in the plate and, and being nice to people or something. But, but it's important to unpack this word to get to what Jesus is saying to us. Now, the word translated perfect here is the Greek word teleos. And it comes from the Greek word uh, telos. It's where we get our word telescope. All right, now the word scope or the word skapos in the Greek means to to see, to look ahead and so perfect. Or teleos here is translated, it means to see the end you have in mind. It means to see the goal, to see the purpose, to see the fulfillment of your life. Perfect here doesn't mean ever, never making a mistake. But to be perfect means to keep moving in the direction in your life where you're able to say more and more every single day that my life is looking like the life that jesus would live It's about being a person whose life is is shaped and formed with, with christ's love a love like the love of god And it's a life. It's a love that demonstrates that I want god's best not only for my life But I want god's best for others too To be perfect We uh, We were coming back from vacation a little over a week ago. We spent some time, my family, with extended family down in North Carolina. And thankfully, uh, it was last week and not this week with, obviously, the hurricane going through there. But we got to spend a week on on the beach with, with our extended family. It was a great time. And a few days in the trip, I was ready for something else. And I had been watching people all week long out in the water. There were people surfing. There were people on boogie boards. You know, obviously, just lots of fun and the waves and all. But one of the things that really caught my attention, was this uh, exercise called paddle boarding. And uh, paddle boarding is much like a surfboard. It's about 12, 10 to 12 feet tall. And, and then you get a paddle with it. You get an oar, kind of like you would have for a canoe. And so I went and rented one because I thought to myself as I watched these people, that doesn't look that hard. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an athletic guy. I, I can do this. And so I took the minivan and strapped it to the top of the van and brought it back to the house. And, and I, I went paddling out in the water. And uh, I got out there and one of the things that I discovered um, really quickly is that it's not as easy as it looks. Um, And I just thought getting up on that board would be pretty simple. And let's Let's just say over the course of a few hours, I spent more time in the water than I did standing on this board. In fact, I don't think I ever stood on the board more than 10 seconds because the waves were just too rough. And, and it, I was entertainment for everyone. I'll be real honest there. There were these two guys in particular that I know were watching me. And so I came out of the water the whole time and I was, hey, I'll be here all week, you know, and then they started laughing and all this. But, but, but it, it wasn't so easy. What I quickly learned is you can't learn a paddleboard in one day. I mean, you really can I mean, it's a process. It takes time. It takes practice. It takes effort. You know, a lot of what Jesus said, and especially these words, even these words, love your enemies. um, If it's a challenge for you, it's not something that you're going to figure out this morning. And a lot of what Jesus has to say is like that. But again, it's about that being perfect. It's about seeing an end in mind. that I'm not satisfied with where I am, but here is where I want to be. Here's where God wants me to be. And so even with something like love your enemies, and and maybe you feel especially challenged with this this morning. It's a process. And and maybe this morning for you, it's, it's just acknowledging with your mind that these are the very words of God. And this is the life that he's called me to. And maybe the next step is, God, will you take what's in my mind right now that I don't know how to put to practice, but, but would you allow it to work in my heart in such a way that just little by little, step by step, it starts playing out in my life in the most appropriate ways? I like these words in Colossians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 20. Here, here's what the writer writes. He says, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. When you see Jesus, it's a picture of God. Verse 20, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. Uh, Jesus was intentional. God sent Jesus Christ on purpose. Uh, There was a plan for his life, a plan for his death and his resurrection. What did he do through Jesus? He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, verse 21, and, and I want you to catch this part. This includes you. This is you and me who were once far away from God. Now, look at these words here. You were his enemies. Separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And now, verse 22, yet now, and this is the good news, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. I mean, because we're human, because I'm human, you know, we are so easily overtaken by these feelings of animosity and resentment towards others. Now, how do we move away from that? How do we find the strength to be the people of God, the life that God has called us to through Jesus Christ? I think it really goes back to what we talked about just a few weeks ago when we talked about forgiveness, that if you're even going to find a way to forgive that particular person in your life, sometimes it means searching your heart and searching the Scriptures and really seeking to understand the full extent of what it means that God would forgive you. And if God can forgive you, then why can't you forgive him? Or, why can't you forgive her? I know that in my own strength, I can't love like Jesus loved. But I know because of the Holy Spirit in me and His desire and the work that He wants to do in me, I know that I can love as Jesus loved. But again, it's a process. You know, it's not going to just happen here today but it's a step-by-step process where we invite God to do his greatest work in our life. Do you want to live a life like Jesus? Do you want to be able to love your enemies as he loved? Will you bow your heads with me? Um, And as you bow your heads, I just want to give you a moment because maybe there's something specific that God wants to do uh, with you. Maybe there's something that he's speaking to you about this morning. So uh, would you just take a moment to to pray uh, whatever God lays on your heart? Maybe think about who that enemy is for you. Uh, Maybe think about next steps. Is there something that you need to do to demonstrate Christ's love to them? Um, Just take a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed. As you continue praying, I mean, what, do you just need to acknowledge this morning, I need, I need, God's, I need God's help in this. And maybe just slip your hand up where you are right now and say, I, I need God's help. There, there is somebody that comes to mind. This is the life that I know that he's called me to. Thank you for that hand here and for another. And we pray for you in that, God. I, I pray for my friends here today, Lord, um, I'm praying for me too. Lord, that you would show me what it means, that you would show us what it means to love our enemies to live as you lived, to pray for even those who persecute us, God. God, we're inviting you to do your greatest work in our life. We want to be perfect, not perfect as the world understands, or the perfect that, that in many ways you know, rubs so many people the wrong way even today, but to, to look ahead, to see the goal of being with Christ and being able to look back over all the years and say, I was never the same, that every day God was changing me more and more through the ups and the downs that God's love, his work was changing me. God, I pray for your strength. I pray that you would give us small victories along the way that we can recognize and see to know that these things are changing. God, would you show us the very next steps to take? As we continue praying, you know, again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here today and, and maybe one of the things that really strikes you this morning is this idea of being an enemy of God. Because as the scriptures say here, you know, every single one of us, we were enemies of God, and He's got every reason to treat us like enemy combatants, but He doesn't. Instead, He sent Jesus Christ so that you and I could find our way back to Him, and it came at a great cost. That cost was Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you feel God pulling you to himself this morning. If, if that's you, and just as a way of saying, I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life today, I'm not going to call you, up, but maybe just slip your hand up where you are as a way of saying, I need Jesus Christ in my life. I want him today. And if that's you, and if that's the work that God's doing in your life today, just pray this prayer with me. God, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for the life that you've given me in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that I would never be the same. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your love for me. That un- unending love. God, we, we celebrate every single one of these prayers here today for the work that you're doing and you'll continue to do even as we leave here. God, we thank you for Jesus, for his love, his mercy, and his strength. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.